0: All right, we're wrapping up the message series we've been in uh, this morning's wrapping up. It's been called uh, Love in High Definition, and it's, it's based on 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6. And over the last few weeks, it's been our goal to uh, look at the key ingredients of good, satisfying relationships that keep be- getting better over time. And thankfully, God has given us a very clear picture in scripture of what that looks like. Uh, for many of us, the, the picture gets fuzzy as you get into uh, relationships and as you connect. It can get fuzzy and blurred just by all the emotions and the thoughts and the tug here and there. But the Bible gives us really uh, a picture of what it means to love in high definition. And so we've been filling in every week uh, what it looks like uh, to, to love this way, God's way, the way that he wants us to. And um, we've been looking at, every week, it, what, the way 1 Corinthians 13 walks through love, it, it talks about love, it's a very specific kind of love. It's a, it's a love that looks out for the interests of others regardless of how you feel, it's sacrificial. That's God's kind of love. And then it'll talk about what love is and what love is not. And so we've been looking at those things and pulling out the principles and the key ideas and approaches to relationships that will help bring into view the things that will really help our marriages, uh, parenting our kids and friendships among our co-workers and then here in the church. The way it works, love is like a greenhouse that helps our relationships thrive. There's, There's a picture of a greenhouse. Um, and in in this greenhouse, they they do everything they can to set up a perfect environment for those plants to grow, and you can see that's the right atmosphere. They're doing well. They're lush. They're green. They're thriving. Uh, here's a picture of some plants that are out in the open just trying to fend for themselves, withered. Uh, the environment that they're in is hostile to their growth, and They haven't had the same level of care that the plants in the greenhouse have had. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the atmosphere that allows our relationships to grow and even thrive. And that atmosphere is actually very, very important uh, when you look at what we're going to talk about today. But I want to walk you back through the series, just the highlights of the series, and this may feel like a sprint through these these highlights. But I'd like to look at the the key things that we've talked about because these are the ingredients that help us have the right atmosphere in our relationships. So we've been digging into a key attitude or approach each week. The first week we learned that God wants love to fuel everything we do. If if our words and deeds aren't motivated by love, our lives and our relationships are empty. That's basically zip. Zero nada. That's what it says. Everything is meaningless if love isn't motivating what you're doing and saying. If our words and deeds aren't motivated by love, everything's empty, and acting out of self interest over time makes our relationships die, like that plant, the withered, the withered plant in a hostile environment. That's that's what happens to relationships if love isn't motivating what we're doing. Second week, we saw how love wins if we trust God and stop envy before it, it starts. Love is, has an enemy. One of the main enemies has many enemies, really. But enemy, envy, sorry, that's tough to pull off there. Envy is an enemy of love. Love wins a battle if we stop comparing what we tend to do. It's normal for human beings. To compare, look around, see how everybody else is doing, and then compete with everybody else. That creates that hostile environment. And love wins when we stop comparing and competing and start celebrating the, the, the victories and what everybody else, how well they're doing. The third week, we discovered that humility is love's secret ingredient. You may have also learned that I know the Big Mac song. To all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. That is embedded in my memory. It's there. Big Mac has its special sauce. Jack in the Box has their secret sauce. Well, it turns out humility is the secret ingredient of love. Because as you choose to humble yourself before God and the people around you, the grace of God flows... And helps us to really truly love people around us. Humility is connected to that. We looked at that. In week four, we talked about how love translates into honor. What we tend to do is we estimate the value of the people around us and we treat them according to the value that we give them. We give them a value estimate. And God, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, God expects you to give people a very high estimate. An extremely high value. And he tells us to try to outdo one another in showing honor. If you're going to compete at something, compete at this. Try to outdo the people around you in showing honor to them. And then last week we looked at how love chooses to forgive and breaks the chains of bitterness. There are two components to forgiveness. We looked at this last week. First one is decisional. We make the decision to love. And the second one's emotional. Deciding to forgive is the first step toward freedom. Many times we're all tied up emotionally. We don't think we can forgive someone because we're just in knots in our emotions. But the first step, it turns out, is deciding to forgive the people who've hurt us and disappointed us. This allows us, this decision allows us to start working through the emotional components of forgiveness, which often takes time. But we're not locked in. It begins to unravel the chains of bitterness. This is a fairly comprehensive description of what it takes to create the optimal atmosphere of love so that our relationships thrive, like the plants in the greenhouse. Self-interest, envy, arrogance, disrespect, bitterness. They pollute the atmosphere. And they don't allow the right things to grow. Especially, it doesn't allow the right thing that we're looking at today to grow at all. It chokes it out. Because something that's very important in relationships is trust. We have to trust one another. If we don't trust another each other, what tends to happen is we tend to hide what's really going on in our heart of hearts, what's really going on with us. If trust is broken down, those things break it down, self-interest, envy, arrogance, disrespect, bitterness, they break down our trust, and, and the truth isn't allowed to grow. Truth, it turns out, is a real key to good, healthy relationships that thrive living breathing speaking the truth makes everyone grow here's what it says in first corinthians thirteen six. the phrase we're looking at actually the verse we're looking at today it or love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but it rejoices with the truth when the truth comes out love is rejoicing in it not at wrongdoing Not at people being hurt by their wrong, but when the truth comes out, they rejoice. So two more key aspects of love come out here. First, love does not rejoice when people make bad decisions or experience loss and pain because of those decisions. I mean, when you're checking out at the market, the grocery store, whatever you call it, (laughs) when you're checking out well, you have to run the gauntlet of magazines, you know, there they are. They're all all the tabloids and magazines, who did what, wow, how... How outlandish can you be? And you read those magazines, you're like, oh, they did what? You know, and you're pulled in and they want you to buy the magazine. Fine. We can get drawn in very easily when others fall, when they fail. Because it, in a twisted way we rejoice, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Oh, we rejoice when they hit the deck because we didn't. That's twisted. That's, that's not love. Sometimes that, that carries over. Actually, it exists in our relationships when we're angry or we're envious or we're, we're bitter at the people around us and they, they fall. We rejoice. Love has no part of that. That is not love. First Corinthians makes that very clear. Love is not glad when people experience hurt or pain. Love wants things to go well for the people in our lives. second part of the verse makes this clear. Love rejoices with the truth. If our family and friends just aren't sure whether we love them or not or we want them to do well, the truth is um, not going to come out into the open. But if they know it, it, it's more likely to come out. If they feel they can be honest with us, about what's really going on, and that we'll be on their side, that we'll look out for their interests. That helps everyone who's connected in relationships because we're all being affected by any wrongdoing that's going on. Then if that right atmosphere that's growing the right stuff, the plants are just taken off, if that exists, then we have the opportunity to speak the truth to one another out of love and concern and it's in this atmosphere that the truth thrives it grows and it has the best opportunity to be received by all involved this is why love rejoices with the truth because it is so crucial for relationships when the truth is out in the open then the wrongdoing can become right and it's it's you know, the truth, I don't know about you, but I get, when I know there's something I need to say to someone, maybe a blind spot they can't see, they can't see what's going on, I get a knot in my stomach and a lump in my throat. And God sort of says, you know, Randy, if you really love them, you're going to say something. I'm like, oh, no, I know that's right, but do I have to? I don't know. You know, so it for me, I have to remember that Love rejoices with the truth, and it speaks the truth. Because speaking the truth does several things for people. It helps them grow. Speaking the truth helps people grow. Ephesians 4, 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love will in all things grow up into him who is the head, in, in, into Christ. That is, into Christ. That, that little phrase, in love, It's the way it's written in this passage... That's the atmosphere that, that truth needs to be spoken in. And actually it, it's not just about speaking it, it's living it, it's thinking it, it's breathing it. Truth is something that we should just cling to as people. And if we, if we do love one another, that provides the atmosphere in which we can live the truth and speak the truth to each other. If someone tells us the truth about something in our lives that we can't see, maybe a blind spot, and that, that atmosphere of love isn't there, many, many times it doesn't take root. It just bounces off because we don't care what they think. We don't really want to know what they have to say. If If you're the one speaking the truth, you may feel better... If this atmosphere of love doesn't exist, just because you've unloaded your anger or frustration, but it doesn't give people the best chance to receive the truth into their life. Now, all of us, we have times when we know we need to say the truth to each other. And honestly, uh, we, we need to hear the truth. This atmosphere is crucial. The kind of truth that's spoken without that atmosphere in, in a polluted atmosphere, envy, arrogance, bitterness, all those things, that kind of truth is like being hit over the head with a sledgehammer. And who's going to keep going back for more? It, it just—we we don't, we don't know what to do. When somebody unloads on us, the person who gets hammered is likely to pull away and just stay away. It causes problems in relationships. So when both truth and love exist, however, uh, the last part of that verse, 1 Corinthians 13, describes what happens. There's rejoicing and 4. 50, Ephesians 4.15, people grow. This is, this is how we grow. This is how we become people that, that really God more and more wants us to be. Speaking the truth, it it grows people and it also strengthens relationships. Here's how. If someone we love continues to hurt themselves because of a wrong attitude or poor choices, it's very easy to get irritated and frustrated with the person because maybe we're affected by their choices or it's just hard to watch somebody that you love continue to bang their head against the wall by their bad choices. It's painful, and we may want to pull away from them, but what love does, it motivates us to cut through the, the, the frustration and the irritation and do something about it. If we speak the truth in love, what happens is if we cut through the frustration, the irritation the anger and all of that, and speak the truth to somebody, our heart makes an investment. We make an investment in them by doing that. And when our heart, when we make an investment, whatever we invest our time and money in, our heart follows that. And I found this to be true. If I take the time to think it all through, what I need to say, to plan it all out, to pray to To ask God, God, help me say this in a way that they'll get this. help me say it so they they'll really understand, and they'll know I care if I do that, if I make the investment to to speak the truth that way, my heart follows my heart follows that investment. I know when my kids were young, I'd get irritated, and you know kids they' their Bible says they do what they want, you know, and they do. They try to anyway, and then you know your parent. Your job as a parent is to teach them to do what's right, and it can be so irritating when they're not doing what they should do right when you need them to do it. And sometimes I notice that my irritation level uh, you get up here, and then I say, okay, I've got to, I've got to do it. I've got to deal with this. I've got to discipline them. No, you know, parents don't want to discipline their kids. They don't. Then I'd finally get to the point where I'd say, "Okay, I got Okay, what do I need to do? How do I need to say? What? How do I need to approach this? I'd think it through. God help me, help me not to, you know, uh, do damage here. And I'd make the investment. I'd sit them down. My heart would be connected to them in a different way than it was while I was irritated and frustrated. Because first of all, I should have been irritated and frustrated with me. I'm the parent. Okay, this is my role here. My kids needed a parent, and I needed to make that investment. When I make the investment, my heart follows. It's the same in every relationship that we have, close relationships with family and friends. We can get irritated, 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 and we see the blind spot. We see what needs to be said. We need to see something that they need to hear, and we don't say it. And the anger, frustration, irritation level goes up and up and up. And it creates a a distance in our relationships. And really, we should be disappointed in ourselves. We need to make the investment. When we make the investment, it strengthens the ties of our relationship. Speaking the truth does that, strengthen the ties. It also helps to build a better future for our family and friends that we speak to. When we've messed up, Many times, the last thing we want to think about or hear is the truth. And so fear and shame can develop, and this this further buries the truth and our ability to hear what's really going on, and we all have blind spots. We all do. Things about us that need to change that we can't see. We can't see them. They need to change, but we're not aware of them. Now, I really appreciate someone when I'm driving on the freeway or down the road, I appreciate someone who tells me they're you know, hey, watch out, you're about to hit that car. I, I appreciate that personally. Um I don't always appreciate help while I'm driving, but so many times somebody in the car has helped me avoid an accident and whew, I'm relieved. Oh, thank you. I really I really, I had no idea that car was there. I had no idea that diesel truck was bearing down the road. And you feel so much relief because of what was said. The truth does the same thing if it's received in the right way. And if it's spoken in the right way, it has the best chance of being received. It provides a warning to avoid major damage in life. This is, this is what God intends for relationships in the family and in church, but we got to have that atmosphere. Without the atmosphere, the truth is like a sledgehammer. It just hurts. We should aim to speak the truth always that brings God's viewpoint into the situation so the person can begin to change and build a better future. Our heart needs to be for them. When we do that, when we speak the truth in love, it helps us grow, helps us grow spiritually. It strengthens the ties in our relationship, and it helps people, helps all of us build a better future. But how do we do this? What does it actually look like? I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've ever done this or given any thought to what it should look like. Um, we have the advantage of getting into the Scripture and learning from an example of Paul in 2 Corinthians, Paul was a first century church starter. He started churches in the first century right after Christ lived and died and was raised. And he helped many people come to Christ. And uh, so he started these churches and he f- took the responsibility to help those folks grow. So one of those churches that he started was in Corinth and the people in Corinth, they were from a Completely pagan background, and so uh, they need a lot of coaching in how to do right, and really we all do, don't we? I mean, we all need coaching in how to do right. I, I found that coaching correction I receive are invaluable. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. It's kind of like going for a root canal, you know. But but it's invaluable because that's how I change. That's how I become more and more the person God wants me to be and hopefully I'm continuing on that path, Uh, That that's invaluable. Actually, it's amazing to me, it used to be amazing to me, that pro athletes, they need coaching and correction. I used to think, these guys make the big bucks, they've done this for years, why do they need a coach? Because they. it's hard to do, even if you know what you need to do, it's hard to do it. You need someone reminding you and coaching you and correcting you when you mess up. And that's how it is in relationships. That's how it is in life. Coaching and correction are an important part of growing healthy and strong relationships that allow us to flourish in our lives. It's essential for our growth. God made sure, now, this is the advantage we have in Scripture. God made sure that Paul's approach to correction is preserved for us in St. Corinthians. He had, Corinth was a, a port town in Greece very, very important city. Uh, it had two harbors that offered access to both Asia and Italy. So it was a very, very important place for the commerce of the day, for the economy. And Paul started a church there and was helping them grow in following Christ, writing letters to them, helping them understand what it meant to follow Christ out of a completely pagan background. And he, he had the unpleasant task of correcting some wrong patterns. And you can read 1 Corinthians. They're in there. And it's... There there are... The sordid details are right there. You can read them before your eyes and they are more sordid than any soap opera you've ever seen. Kind of unbelievable, really. But you should read 1 Corinthians for yourself. See, I might have piqued your interest. Better than reading the magazines, you know, in the checkout line. But 1 Corinthians... uh, In... In 2 Corinthians, he'd written a letter of correction in 1 Corinthians. And then in 2 Corinthians, what he does, the second letter, he he gives us a glimpse into his heart and his approach to the way that he spoke the truth to them in that first letter. And we can learn a lot from it. You can see his motive and why he says what he does and why he did it. And so uh, let's look and learn from Paul on how to offer correction to someone, how to speak the truth to someone you love. First thing, check your motive before you speak. 2 Corinthians 12:19. Paul says this, If you've been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you, it is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. And he basically he says, I love you. I'm doing this to build you up, to help you. I'm doing this out of love because I care. The right goal for any correction is spelled out right here, to build up. It's never right to unload your irritations, your frustrations, and anger. In fact, one of the verses I memorized early on, Proverbs twelve eighteen, it's not on the screen, but a fool, it says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool just lets it rip. And that's never right. To unload on the people around us. Our goal in correction should be to strengthen others, to build them up. Not to back up a dump truck of grievances and irritations and just unload, bury them, and then leave. Our goal should be to upbuild, not to unload. We need to take care that our correction isn't based on our own preferences or our own opinions. Paul says here... Uh, I'm not, we're not defending ourselves to you. This is not about me. This is about you because we care about you. This isn't coming from me. And that's how the Bible really helps. If you get into the Bible, you read it for yourself. It's an objective guide to what you should learn yourself, the patterns that you should be building into your life, the attitudes, the, the approaches, that you should take the principles that you should build your life on. And then, as you learn for yourself, you're able to see the patterns in others that really need, need to be corrected. If, if we don't have that objective guide, then we're going to correct based on our preferences, our opinions, our emotions in the moment. It's going to be willy-nilly and arbitrary. And that's confusing to people. It's not consistent. And it's confusing. Imagine a referee trying to call a hockey game based on his personal opinion and preference. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of fights. Yeah, the fans might enjoy it, but there's not going to be a lot get done on that hockey hockey uh, rink. Ice. Not a hockey person, so I had to think about what to call it. We we need an objective guide that we can trust, and God's given us the Bible as our guide. So. The goal should be we need to check our motive. The goal should be to build up, and we don't do it based on our own personal emotions, thoughts, preferences, irritations, or whatever. Second tip, carefully consider what you will say. This is crucial. And Paul says, look look at at what's going on in him in verse 4 of chapter 2. I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, And with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know how the abundant love, to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul did not offer a cold correction, but his correction grew out of a deep love and was carefully considered. He thought it through. There was much affliction and anguish of heart. This means he wrestled with what he was going to say. He thought it through carefully. There are at least three things to think through when you're about to approach someone in correction, if you're going to speak the truth. First, timing. Very, very important. Think about when you're going to talk things over with them. It shouldn't be when they're tired or under more pressure than normal or in a hurry. You've got to think through the timing. Columbia University did a study. Uh, and discovered that more arguments occur right before dinner than any other time of the day. More, more conflict happens right then. That, that makes sense. We're tired. We're hungry. We're cranky. I'm really cranky when I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, low blood sugar. We've we, we got to find food. And that's not a good time to bring up a major issue. It's just not. Right before dinner. The point is this. Don't ever drop a bomb. Don't do it. If you're if you're doing this in love, if you're approaching someone in love, you think about the best timing for them, not the timing that's going to make you feel better. But you think about when they're rested, when they're going to be more likely to hear it, and you, you ask God for an opportunity to just speak it in that moment. Second, we should give careful thought to our topic, what we're going to say. We need to really consider what we're going to say to them. I find it best to write out everything, all of my concerns on on a piece of paper. It takes a lot of work. It's an investment. (laughs) It really is. But I write write everything I can think of out, my concerns, what's going on, what I see happening. And I try to identify, to the best of my ability, with God's help, a pattern. Not just a one-time incident, not just now that was irritating, but a pattern where I can see that they're hurting themselves. So I identify a pattern, I look at how it's hurting them, how it's affecting their relationships, and then I try to point out the damage that it's going to do in the future if they continue in the pattern over the long haul. This, this means that I have to take the time to pray, to think it over, uh, to try to figure out what's really going wrong in the situation. I have to weed out all of my irritation, anger, personal preference, and opinions to identify the one or two patterns that I probably need to talk to them about. Third thing to think through is tact. The question is, how am I going to approach them? Write out what you're going to say, like I said, this is what I do. Write it all out and then try to put in a sentence or two your concern. What you're concerned about. Proverbs 12:18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Wisdom is about timing and procedure. That's what Ecclesiastes says. So you need to think this through. This means I have to ask God how to bring it up, when to bring it up, how to talk it through. And he's faithful to help. If you plan your presentation of the truth and carefully think through the timing, when, the topic, what, and the, the tact you're going to take, the how, you, you can begin to learn to build a bridge. You can use the conversation to build a bridge to the heart of the person and, and really help them. Another key to speaking the truth is to give affirmation with the correction. Look at what Paul did. 2 Corinthians 7, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Now, that sounds like a dad, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like a really good father. He's proud like a father of them. His children are doing well. There's this joy that wells up. When, when you need to confront and correct someone you love, let them know up front how important they are to you. It, many times I even say, you know, I really don't, I, I care about our relationship. I don't want this to damage it. I don't want this to hurt it. But I really have something I need to talk to you about. We, you let them know up front. Let them know you'll be praying for them. Let them know you want them to do well. Communicate you think they can do it. They can change. Sandwich the truth between affirmations like that. That's what Paul does. And then finally, take the risk in love. In this passage I want to read, you can see how much of a risk Paul thought he was taking. He, he was nervous about saying what he need to say, needed to say in 1 Corinthians because he wasn't quite sure what they were going to do. It could end the relationship, cause conflict, cause a rift. He wasn't sure what was going to happen. In Second Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, this is what he says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. So I did regret it for I see that the, that that letter grieved you though only for a while as it is I rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved into repenting for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death often when someone is doing wrong. And you know it, and you know that something needs to be said for their good. To shrink back from saying it creates distance in the relationship. And it's not real love, fake love, pretend love. Uh, The things we need to confront are the issues that don't disappear into thin air. We hope they will. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. Everybody knows something needs to be said. It's a baby elephant at first. It's a little tiny baby elephant in the room. And, you know, we're ignoring it. We're really kind of hoping that it goes away. And instead of leaving the room, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and grows and grows. And then it's really harder and harder to pretend that it's not there. And the relationship gets fake. It's pretend. It's pretend. Because you're pretending this humongous elephant isn't there. And you're trying not to talk about it. And it, it's miserable. It is not enjoyable. Love rejoices with the truth. It does not rejoice in the wrong. When, in fact, if you love somebody and you see wrong going on, it hurts deeply. You can see Paul anguish and affliction. He took it personally. It impacted him. That's why it's so important to take the risk. Because the relationship depends on it. It's just going to be miserable and fake if you don't speak the truth. Often there will not be rejoicing until the truth comes out. Is there someone you love? Right now that you need to offer up a correction to. What's the atmosphere in your relationship with them? What's that like? Do you need to do some pollution control, air quality management, to to deal with some things, to set the right atmosphere before you correct? What steps do you need to take to speak the truth? What how do you need to get prepared? Prayer for sure, thinking it through, planning ahead, timing, uh, tact, topic, all of those things need to be there. Love and truth are verbs. They, They mean we take action. We demonstrate our love for our family and friends by living and speaking the truth when it needs to be spoken. Not always pleasant, but very, very important to do. As the band comes up, I'd like to ask you to think through uh, some next steps that you could take today as a result of hearing this message. And if you would, take out your connection card, finish completing anything you haven't had an opportunity to complete on there, that'd be great. And then when the offering ushers come come around, you can drop the card in the, the basket. Uh, here are some suggested next steps. First of all, thank God and the last person who risks giving you a valid correction. Thank God for that. Thank, thank them. Write a note. Just give them a phone call or just go up and speak. Say thank you for what you did. Second step, pray for someone I need to correct and schedule a time to plan it. Maybe someone's come to mind. And there's some, maybe some pollution control, some things in the atmosphere you need to get straightened out. And then you need to plan it and figure it out. Pray over it. Plan uh, another step you could take is to invite your family and friends next week. We'd love to have you do that. Uh, also, if you'd like to help with basically teardown for Easter next week, if you'd just write teardown on your card somewhere, that'd be great, and that'd be a big help to us. But uh, God wants us, as we get into the Scripture, He wants us to take the next step of obedience with Him. And we'll let's ask Him for the help to do that. Father, we thank You for the truth that we see in, in your word and how it really does give us a clear picture of what it means to love. And I ask, God, as you've uh, laid things on our heart today, uh, as you've spoken to us, I pray that you'd help us to step out to follow you and bring honor and glory to you by obeying you. We ask for this help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.